Marcus Sahaba Online Radio. Empowering the Ummah. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. You are tuned into Marcus Sahaba Online and it's a beautiful, beautiful Friday afternoon. Dear listeners of Marcus Sahaba Online, the day of Jumu'ah is here. Alhamdulillah, as usual, as always, we make shukr to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for blessing us with yet another beautiful day indeed and we continue for the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and uh, you know the day every day goes uh, as we search for news as we search for reality in what exactly is happening in the world around us dear listeners of America Sahaba online but interesting indeed and we've seen very interesting uh, things in Al-Aqsa this weekend you know Sometimes, sometimes you just need a break. We were singing the other day that sometimes you just need um, a break from the stress. And uh, there you go, Alhamdulillah, we've seen snow in Al-Aqsa. Now, while uh, this week we covered uh, intensely what's happening in uh, countries like Syria, countries like Yemen, as far as the difficulties are concerned, and, uh, you know, the homelessness and the lives lost as far as snow is concerned, uh, I think it was in a form, it was a bit positive this time in Al-Aqsa Mosque. Not every year it uh, snows at Al-Aqsa. So it was uh, quite nice and refreshing to see even though through the turmoil, uh, through all the difficulties in Al-Aqsa. Um, We've seen that um, there, there, there are more evictions from the Sheikh Jarrah neighborhood. We've seen uh, last year was a record-breaking year for South Africans, uh, South African Jews making it uh, or visiting Israel. So it did interesting things indeed, but I think a little bit of positivity. Let's welcome our Palestinian, uh, not exactly Palestinian correspondent, but he's a correspondent regarding Palestine, definitely. His heart is Palestine. His heart beats Beruh, Bidam, Navdika, Ya Aksa. Let's welcome him on the line. Ibrahim Musa, Assalamu Alaikum wa Rahmatullahi wa Barakatuh. Wa Alaikum Assalamu wa Rahmatullahi wa Barakatuh. How are you doing today, brother Ibrahim Musa? Ah, super, Alhamdulillah, Yusuf, Jazakallah khairan for asking. Alhamdulillah, Ibrahim, uh, or Hafiz Ibrahim, uh, you know, I think in, a, in, 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 in months of difficulties, months of trials, uh, and we've seen snow all over, you know, in, in, in the Middle East. Uh, a little bit of a breather for the Palestinians to blow off some steam? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Um, and, and um, I, you know, you, uh, you saw the Palestinians writing, uh, for example, on social media and so forth, uh, leading up to this, um, you know, whenever they'd watch the weather quite keenly, it, it, it differs from year to year. Um, and, uh, it quite, it, it's, it's quite likely that it happens, uh, not, not perhaps every year, but, uh, almost every year. There is a likelihood, uh, depending on the weather patterns, and as uh, Allah Subhanahu wa Taala wills, uh, for for rain, I uh, mean for for snow to fall on the Sahara. So leading up to this period, uh, you know, there, there's intense focus on uh, whether it's going to happen today. Is is there a likelihood of of it happening? Uh, so it's something that people uh, eagerly look forward to. And uh, uh, it's when it when it happens, uh, you know, it's it's just a that, that those, those beautiful gold, gold domes of the Dome of the Rock, cloaked in white, uh, the, the black dome of the Qibli Musalla, the Jami al Qibli, uh, also uh, you know cloaked in white, and then the entire um, compound of Masjid Al Aqsa also cloaked in white. And, uh, you know, for me, uh, it, it just gives a feeling of, uh, you know, how, how majestic this, this masjid is. I mean, there's so many thoughts that could come to your mind and there's no right thought or wrong thought. But when you, uh, think of this masjid, this, uh, historic masjid, the second masjid on earth and, uh, you know, standing strong, uh, it's gone through so many rainfalls and it's gone through 
so many snowfalls and uh, it's one of the Palestinians put up on their uh, status, it's not uh, the snow that makes Al-Aqsa look beautiful, it's Al-Aqsa that makes the snow look look beautiful uh, and, and, and that, that's the moment that everybody cherishes uh, to go out there to, uh, you know, view these beautiful sights cloaked in snow, to play with the snow. Uh, I recall uh, an incident where, you know, uh, when, when I went to Al-Aqsa, um, uh, the last time in Ramadan, and you know, my my little my little one was uh, extremely young at that age, probably not even a year, and uh, uh, you know, just crawling around Al Aqsa at that time. Uh, Alhamdulillah, and, and while she was there, she was uh, you know playing with uh, uh, the, the sand, and uh, you know, as children do, sometimes put some sand in their mouth and all that. Uh, and uh, one of the Palestinians. I mentioned that you know the, 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 that's a good thing. Uh, you you uh, you you having or you eating or you uh, having into your ingesting into your mouth. You know the, the most one of the most blessed sands uh, on earth. And I think of that, and I think of uh, the, the, the fact that uh, so many blessings descend on this place, and this is just another type of blessing. So it's not just any snow, but it's snow that's now mixed with blessings, snow that's snow, uh, soaked with blessings. And uh, that, that's why people go all out. Uh, and then you have uh, the, the fun that people have with it, those uh, snow fights that, that people uh, joyfully have within the snow, uh, then you have people reciting Askar within the snow. Uh, there was a snowman with a difference that I saw this year that somebody had uh, made, and it was in the shape of a Qassam missile. Um, so that's how, uh, one of the ways that they make uh, they make uh, uh, snowmen at Masjid Aqsa. So there was what somebody uh, called friendly fire, uh, where people are uh, you know playing amongst themselves in the snow. And there's also um, you know real fire where uh, Palestinians relish the opportunity to uh, go to use the, uh, the, the snow as uh, armaments and uh, to. To, to basically throw it at uh, Israeli soldiers and uh, make the most of that moment, and obviously the Israelis uh, being, uh, um, you know, you know, not up to the moment, would try to sour the moment by uh, clamping down people having the skin fun and, and arresting them. But beautiful moments, and uh, it, it's it's a beautiful tradition that we're watching. Because uh, you know there's pictures, archive pictures where you'd see Al-Aqsa even in the 1900s. So it's basically that's a weather pattern of that part of the world, uh, cloaked cloaked in snow, uh, and it, it's a most beautiful time for us. I, I'd imagine people from the outside, winters are a bit tough uh, to to be in a place like Palestine. But uh, it, it would be a, a great opportunity to to have been been there to be able to witness uh, all of this and uh, share in the joy. Uh, I think. The, 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 the characteristic, the overriding characteristic of everything we've seen this week is joy and happiness, and uh, we we wish uh, that uh, you know that these type of moments can be prolonged because this is the beauty of Al-Aqsa. Uh, but obviously, on the other end, uh, we we know that just lurking beneath the snow, if you like, or being under, on the other side of the corner, is uh, the realities, the other harsh realities of Al-Quds. Well, definitely, Ibrahim. And uh, we did get reports, you know, uh, I think everybody was uh, enjoying images of the snow in Al-Aqsa, a few videos going around. And then uh, as, as uh, you know, we just breathed that sigh of relief, uh, we got reports that uh, the Israelis were, uh, were, 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 were were throwing, I'm not too sure if it was um, not smoke bombs, but these bombs that make noise, or I, I can't remember what, so to, to disrupt the fun. Yeah, so um, what was interesting is within Masjid al-Aqsa, uh, those settler incursions, uh, despite the snow, uh, they they did continue under umbrellas and so forth, which which obviously is, is a kind of show of strength, intended show of strength from the settlers uh, to say that, uh, you know, we, we're not going to back off, whether it's it's snow or, or regardless, uh, which, which again shows uh, their determination to be able to achieve their goals. Uh, the, 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 the images that we saw of some tent, so there were arrests 
inside uh, Masjid Al-Aqsa um, of people for you know for no for no other reason except that they uh, were having fun within or, or came to see the snow or playing in the snow or, or you know some youth were having some fun within the snow and and then um, on the outside um, uh, again beautiful scenes from Babel Amud or the Damascus Gate is called the, the most prominent entrance to the old city of Jerusalem. This is uh, a thoroughfare, it's a social meeting point. And it's also a point, as we saw last Ramadan, when tensions uh, can erupt because of the uh, very, uh, you know, non-understandable restrictions that the Israelis put on Palestinians in that area just to, to make, you know, to, to sour their fun or to, sour, to, to make life difficult for them. Uh, so uh, this area was, again, you know, totally cloaked in snow. There were similar scenes of people enjoying themselves uh, and uh, also Palestinians particularly in this point, taking advantage of the situation to uh, be able to, uh, uh, you know, uh, mock or tease the soldiers or the Israeli border police a bit there. Um, and uh, perhaps just to sour the fun or just to uh, show their authority, uh, as the Israelis tend to do, uh, that there were these uh, these measures such as sound bombs or measures such as tear gas and uh, rubber bullets standards uh, for for this part of the world every now and then. Uh, Israelis used it to break up crowds and and there were uh, arrests as well of people uh, um, around Bab al uh, particularly. Uh, but again, I have to um, underscore the point that these are just, if you'd want to use uh, uh, some colloquial language, these are like party poopers. These are people who just want to uh, you know, break up the fun that people are having and the zest for life and the zest for, for, for all of the Palestinians uh, to show their ownership of the land. And uh, as a result of that, you, you have these kind of arrests every now and then. Um, you know, even when there's a, a major victory at Masjid Al-Aqsa and people march in triumphantly, uh, there'll be these glorious scenes. And after a few hours, the Israelis would come to take down banners or the Israelis would come to uh, break up the, cr- the crowds. It's just a show of strength, but I would say a cowardly show of strength uh, because time and time again, despite these shows of uh, fake shows of strength from the Israelis, the Palestinians return and uh, they hold up, uh, they hold their head up high. And we just need to take a cue from the scenes of people enjoying themselves and enjoying the snow uh, to, to get an idea that these are uh, people, despite the sufferings and the demolitions and the high standard of life that's forced upon them and the educational challenges and the uh, occupation of Masjid Al-Aqsa, um, they, they, are not un, uh, they, they come out unbowed. They come uh, proud, they come strong, and uh, instead of moaning and bemoaning their problems, they are able to overcome their problems and on top of that, uh, able to, to smile and share the joy uh, like ordinary people in, in you know, far, far less complicated situations around the world also do. Well, definitely, Ibrahim. And, uh, you know, this is the thing uh, we've seen and we continue to see. This is brutal, brutal and ugly, nauseating oppression, which we see, uh, you know, and uh, it just... It, it's it's very depressing that it goes, uh, it it, uh, it it happens unabated. It happens with no consequence, and it happens with you can say the support of some Western nations. Now, uh, talking about us here in South Africa as well, you know, uh, coming out of apartheid, understanding apartheid, what it's like, understand being oppressed, and I really feel like the oppression the Palestinians face is far worse than what we have been uh, facing here in South Africa. We've also learned of uh, South Africans twenty twenty. One, uh, many South Africans visiting uh, Israel. So you said it's not, not only a case of uh, South Africans visiting, but uh, in this case, it's a, uh, it, it's the uh, concept of Alia, uh, the Zionist concept of Alia, um, which is uh, uh, basically it's termed as a homecoming 
Um, and uh, according to the Israeli laws that were enacted after uh, the Nakba and after the State of Israel came into being after 1948, there were uh, one set of laws that excluded a people uh, wholesale, and there was another set of laws that included a people, uh, a group of people wholesale. So the uh, the, the uh, absentee law said that Palestinians. Uh, if on at a particular time, on a particular day in 1948, they were not at their homes, they lose their homes, they literally become refugees, they're not allowed to come back to this land, they're not allowed any rights in this land, and if they somehow manage to still stay in this land, they, they are second-class citizens. So with one fell swoop, a person uh, was forcefully driven out of their home with the intention to return. Um, the houses exist, um, everything of their legacy exists, uh, but they, they are made strangers in this land by a, a, a simple uh, law or signature of a politician. And on the other hand, you have the law of return uh, that says that a Jew anywhere in the world uh, can return to, uh, well, uh, the, the, the problematic part is return to this land because, uh, they, uh, I mean, the majority would not have set foot on this land. They are South Africans, they are, uh, you know, Ukrainians, they are uh, Russians, they are British. Uh, that, that's where their, their parents and grandparents grew up. But all of a sudden they, uh, you know, are, are given full rights that automatically, uh, you know, there, there's no other skill or talent or, or, or nothing else you need to bring to this land. All, uh, all, all that's required is that if you have uh, this certain identity, uh, then you are automatically a citizen of this land. So that, those are the two pictures that played itself out. An entire nation who lost their, their land and lost their rights to their land, even though they were deeply rooted. And the other people from all over the world uh, who, uh, you know, had the different heritages, but because of their uh, link to the Jewish faith, um, are then made automatic citizens of this land. And that's uh, obviously how uh, you know, they come to this land and then build their lives, build their legacy, build their, uh, build their identity on whatever was inherited basically from the Palestinians, literally their homes, literally in many cases their possessions, and obviously the land and uh, all the wonderful fruits and, uh, and blessings that this land uh, has, to, has to offer. So that has continued over the years, and uh, uh, there are special agencies in different parts of the world who uh, you know, are, are specially set up to be able to encourage immigration into the state of Israel uh, for Jews, um, help people to settle, help people to enter into the army, uh, help people to find jobs uh, with government subsidies, etc. And many of them would potentially go to live uh, in illegal settlements, uh, you know, both with, on, on Palestinian land uh, in places like, like the West Bank. So the, the news from... Um, the past year, 2021, uh, has been that uh, it's been a record-breaking year internationally as well as for South Africans, uh, South African Jews in that case, going to the state of Israel. Uh, in, in numerical numbers, it might seem small. There was about 550 South African Jews who uh, made the trip. Uh, or, or you know, basically relocated to the state of Israel, and they, they cited factors such as, uh, you know, uh, affirmative action in South Africa, the pandemic, and the, um, you know, issues like uh, the, uh, the the riots in South Africa, decreasing opportunities. But obviously, overriding over all of this would be the ideological reasons to go to Israel. Uh, but this is significant uh, in terms, if one looks at the number in terms of the broader Jewish population of South Africa, also in terms of um, the, the, the percentage of the population and the percentage increase on previous years. So uh, it is said that the number of people who, who, who made immigration or earlier from South Africa um, in the past year was a 70% increase on the previous year. And uh, it, it was much larger than, you know, the past decade or the past few years. In fact, the last time there was such a large, large number uh, of people who did so was in 1994, 
and one can understand uh, the, 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 the rationale for why, why some people would want to uh, go away from the country in 1994. But when you look at the proportion of, of, of people who made uh, this move in uh, 2021 uh, compared to uh, what uh, we saw in 1994. In 1994, there was a much larger Jewish community, uh, where, whereas now we have a much smaller Jewish community. So mm-hmm. it is said that this was the largest proportional uh, move out of Jews from South Africa since the 1970s. Uh, and uh, that goes hand in glove with also the fact that uh, there was also a 30% increase uh, in global alia uh, to, to the state of Israel. So obviously, despite uh, the difficult conditions that pe- some people are dealing with around the world because of uh, because of the pandemic, because of lockdowns and so forth, this hasn't hampered uh, the the flood into the state of Israel for, of Jews from around the world, uh, including uh, South Africa. And uh, more ominous to that is, is obviously if one keeps that backdrop in mind, uh, how people are privileged because. Palestinians are, uh, are, are, are underprivileged and um, how sometimes people, uh, basically not only sometimes, when people would uh, relocate to this land, there's mandatory service in the army and as a result of that, people are going to be committing war crimes uh, and in many cases, uh, because of the lack last uh, uh, approach of the South African authorities, you would have uh, some of them maintaining dual passports. And as a result of that, it's still maintaining a foothold in South Africa, but at the same time, able to serve in the army, uh, commit crimes against the Palestinians, uh, but find uh, you know a, a way to escape it if need be uh, in South Africa. So there's, uh, uh, there's multiple transgressions happening here uh, um, that we need to take note of. Well, definitely, Brian. And uh, like you said, it's uh, essentially, essentially Palestinian is still being run. You know, uh, it's pointless. I really feel like many times it's senseless that we have this United Nations organization bodies and rights organizations condemning the move, condemning uh, what happened when uh, Palestinian was overrun initially, when still allowing it to happen, even though it's at the smaller scale, still allowing it to happen today. So it really is a travesty of justice, Ibrahim. Uh, unfortunately, we're going to have to leave it at that. I don't know what happens to the time on the Friday, but uh, once again, we say Jazakallah to you, inshallah, uh, for speaking to us. And hopefully next week we'll have a little bit more good news, uh, more than the snow, inshallah. Inshallah, inshallah, Yusuf, Jazakallah khairan, and uh, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Palestine, oh Palestine. Uh, you know, uh, it's just, just a little glimmer of hope. You feel, you really feel hard for the Palestinian people, you know, the amount of difficulties they go through, and the world is just silent. And this just shows, you know, the amount of South Africans who are moving to uh, Palestine, uh, I mean, to, 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 to Palestine, which is uh, occupied by the Israelis. And um, it shows how hard some of our South Africans are, are latching on to apartheid, are latching on to apartheid and now moving on. Well, all we can do is hope that they get vaccinated for the fourth, fifth, and sixth times when they're there. The Israeli airport and uh, can carry on with their lives. But uh, Alhamdulillah, Ibrahim Musa once again speaking to us, a very passionate individual, and he spoke about the youngster in uh, in Al Aqsa. It really made your heart melt, didn't it? Let Allah bless our brother Ibrahim Musa. What a fantastic individual. Time for us to go for a break, inshallah, and then we're going to be hearing from Brother Faisal Isop. Marcus Sahaba Online Radio, empowering the Ummah. You are tuning in to Marika Sahaba online and, uh, you know, a wonderful update from Hafez Ibrahim Musa. And, uh, you know, very passionate about Palestine he is. And um, even though we had this little moments of joy, you know, these little moments of beauty, which uh, we have seen on uh, these images, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless the Palestinians. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless those little ones who play in the sand, who perhaps eat the sand. That was, that was unbearably cute, really. Uh, but uh, alhamdulillah, that's what's been happening uh, in Al-Aqsa. Very interesting story, South Africans flocking to Israel. South Africans flocking to Israel 
because uh, at the end of the day simply not not sitting with them too well that apartheid is uh, sort of eradicated in South Africa and um, going to enjoy more apartheid in Israel. Very sad indeed. But right now let's talk about what's happening here in South Africa and it's our environmental segment with none other than our brother Faisal Isuk. Faisal, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Alhamdulillah, Alhamdulillah, all good, uh, my side. You know, just a little bit happy, a little bit sad after speaking to uh, Hafez Ibrahim Musa about Palestine, about the snow uh, in Al Aqsa, and then we heard about the oppression continuing. But uh, hopefully, we can find some uplifting news in South Africa. But you know, we've been following something, I think, especially during the holiday season, we've been following a very grisly story, a greasy story. Can I say in KwaZulu Natal uh, as far as the pollution is concerned? But nonetheless, uh, Faisal, have you been to Al Aqsa, Faisal? I've been before. Um, really, it kicked off in the last time before it got closed. Um, we did, uh, um, yeah, we were there for Itikaf. We were doing a lot of environmental recordings, shall I say, regarding the trees of the co- uh, um, compound. Um, we were speaking about the olive trees and the rock structure and why the buildings are in existence for so long, if I remember. We can't remember the details. <laughs> that is research. And I was posting these messages. So, alhamdulillah, it was quite uh, interesting to actually... Um, questions were asked, for example, why do these buildings last for so long? What the type of rock do they use? And then why do these olive trees live for so long, for example? How long does an olive tree live for? What is the age of the current trees in that area? Because now if, you, if you're talking about it, some of the people say they're 800, 900. Then other people that say the trees are two, 3,000 years old. The trees regenerate from the roots. So if you're talking about it, I repeat the word if. Look at the incident that those uh, trees would have witnessed. I mean, how many battles they would have witnessed. Hmm. So the age when you're talking of 2,000, 3,000 years old, they would have probably witnessed. Um, uh, uh, this is never a moment. I'm just saying, I'm just uh, I'm not saying it was the case, but it, they say about these trees, love. I obviously need somebody that's a tree specialist to talk about the aging of the trees, but some of the trees look like really old. You could see the beauty part of an olive tree, they say it can, re- after you chop it down, it can regenerate from the roots. So, you know, Allah knows best, you know, and then uh, here comes something to say, a person that plants a tree, anybody that takes shade on it or use it in the home, it's a water, it's a form of serica. You can imagine somebody planted an olive tree that I made, it lasted for so long through the ages, for what benefit they take in. So, it's something like lesson for us to even just come home and, when we come home and implement this shepherd stuff, getting involved in gardening and cleaning the environment, it's soon of our so it's always interesting. And you know what's another interesting thing, now that you're on this topic, is um, I've just been thinking like wildlife packages. You know, we always think of Kenya and South America, but like Turkey, for example. Turkey's also got a lot of wildlife. Interesting. They've got brown bears, they've got hyenas, they've got wild leopards, very scarce, caracals, scarce. Uh, Palestine as well also has got some very interesting to us. And then, like, if you look at Makkah and Medina, you know, when we go for Umrah, we just go to, we go for Makkah, Medina, Makkah and Medina, and we come out. And no one ever, when I was there, uh, three, four years ago, I was also doing these recordings, and I was discussing the rock structure of Medina, why they have those black basalt rocks. Um, and even you come across some of the miracles that the Mormon films uh, uh, performed in, like, some incidents that happened, the fire of Hijaz, for example, they say the signs are still there, but if you just look at it, it's very interesting, the rock structure, the, the soil that are there in Uhud and in Makkah, Medina, very interesting to actually do a tour of it. I'd like to maybe take an Umrah group and obviously your objective is uh, Umrah, but just start talking about the creation of Allah's that just it takes a totally different spin on it. At least spend a day doing such a tour. It, it's got a lot of potential. They are, uh, it's really amazing the Rock chapter the rock. Maybe we can uh, talk, start talking about something like that, or maybe down the line towards Hajj or Umrah. But like, um, Uhud, there's a forest next door. You know, the, the meme of the Muslim came from that forest. What type of a plant, wood was it? A type of wood, for example. Just simple, simple things like that. Very mind boggling. Like, the soil is very nutritious in Medina. It's very, it's come, I can't remember, based off, it's, it's very, it's based off rocks, basically, and based on rocks leads to very fertile soil. Mm-hmm. And that's why you got this schedule. So, you know, when you're walking like in Kruger or you're walking around, you always ask yourself, why is the soil the color? Why are the rocks the color? Mm-hmm. The rocks have 
your hands. Allahumma ajirna minan nar. Oh Allah, save us from the fire of Jannah. Oh Allah, save us from the fire of Jannah. Allahumma ajirna minan nar. Oh my Allah, oh my Kareem, oh my Rahim, oh my Halim, oh my Hanan, oh my most forgiving Allah, oh my most beautiful Allah, oh my most kind Allah, oh Allah, we are calling you beautiful. Mereka sahaba online. Marcus Sahaba Online Radio Empowering the Ummah You are tuned in to Marcus Sahaba Online And it's time for us to go for our nasiha for today Inshallah, we're going to be listening to the voice of Mulana Irshad Ahmad in Durban Talking about foundations of knowledge in Islam Bismillahirrahmanirrahim Alhamdulillah Alhamdulillah Wassalatu wassalam Ala Sayyidina Muhammad Wa ala alihi Wa sahbihi Wa man da'a bi da'watihi Wa ahtada bi hadihi Wa sara Ala sunnati Ila yawmiddin Qala Rasulullah Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam Talab al-in farida Ala kulli muslim Wa muslima My respected listeners It is Alhamdulillah We are ending the term for many, many of our students. But as you know, knowledge, there is no end to it. Many ulama have spoken on this topic. Many scholars have spoken on this topic about the importance of knowledge. However, I would focus on a different aspect for the next few minutes, inshallah. And that is, I want to focus on what are the foundations of knowledge in Islam? What builds the foundation in order for us to grow, to become better human beings, to contribute to this beautiful ummah of Sayyidina Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and become those, become those beacons of hope for humanity at large. So without further ado, I would like to start off with, with what various ulama started with, which is called these foundations of building of knowledge in Islam. And the first foundation is our iman. Because if we do not believe, if we do not believe, then we have got no guidance. Then we have got no goal. Then we cannot reach a certain level in our lives and we become rudderless, as the Western saying goes. And once a person is rudderless, then everything becomes problematic and the world becomes everything and the hereafter becomes just a figment of the imagination. So that is why we find that in the opening part of Surah Al-Baqarah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about الَّذِينَ يُؤْمِنُونَ بِالْغَيْبِ And those who believe in the unseen. Now, alhamdulillah, the ummah of Sayyidina Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, we believe in the unseen. To us, even Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is unseen, except for those who were given that Beautiful dream and they saw our beloved sallallahu alayhi wa How fortunate are those individuals? We make dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that he also gives us the opportunity to, to view this Mubarak face of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi in our dreams, inshallah. But as you know, to get to that level, we have to be of that level of belief and that level of amal, inshallah. So the first one is that we've got to believe in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and that that knowledge that comes to us comes from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So in Islam, we do not have a dichotomy between dini knowledge and circular, circular knowledge because all knowledge comes from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So we've got to ensure that whatever knowledge we have, we take out those that are so-called uh, contributions by man which contradict the sharia and take them out, and even take them out of our syllabi and things like that, and express only those aspects that conform with the Sharia, because that is the true knowledge, and that is the true knowledge we've got to believe in. The second aspect, or the second pillar that we uh, focus on, and uh, many people may say, but how can suddenly we find from Iman, we go to what is known as akhlaq, the character. So as Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam has mentioned, that I've been said not but to complete the character. 
And we know for a fact the character of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa in whatever he has done, he has showed us how to behave in all types of situations. Walillahi alhamd. And we find that the more knowledge we gain, the more knowledge we gain, the more character we build. But if we find that if our knowledge increases and our character decreases, then we've got an issue. Because that means our knowledge is not contributing to our character. Because knowledge today, walillahi alhamd, we can gain from different sources. We can go to the ulama. We can go to, 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 to those sites on the internet that are compatible with, with our sharia, those that are not misleading us. We can read books. We can read periodicals. We can gain knowledge from different sources today. At the click of a button, we can gain knowledge today. However, our character is something that we need to work on all the time. So the second pillar becomes our character. That is why Sayyidina Aisha radiallahu ta'ala when she was asked to, to, to describe Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, she mentioned that he was a walking Qur'an. He was a walking Qur'an. And when we read, and each and every one of us have to read the seerah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, spend time studying the seerah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, spend time studying the hayat of the sahaba, there's so many good books that are written on the, on the Hayat al-Sahaba. And for one reason, to gain knowledge and build our character. Today, what is the use? You go to a, a top doctor, but if he has not got no character, you won't even want to go back to him because of the way he may have treated you. So the issue is not about the knowledge. The issue is about the character of the individual. Because when you leave this world one day, and all of us are going to leave, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us, our death with Iman, inshallah, and the highest status of Jannah, inshallah. But when we leave this world, we will not be remembered for how many A's we have had uh, in our metric examinations. We will not be remembered for how many prizes we have taken in high school. But one thing we will be remembered for is the way we treated the, the other human being, the way we were treated. And I recall an insert, a, a book that I was reading by Stephen Harvey of the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And he mentions in his third chapter, begin with the end in mind. And this is something that we must take cognizance of. And, and I discuss this with my students also. And I say that imagine today your cousin is lying in your lounge somewhere, people are around you, and they're talking about you. Now put down who you really are. Be honest to yourself in one column, and in the next column, write down what people think about you, and then correlate them and see how off you are or how on you are. So it is very important to begin with the end in mind. So people will speak about your character once you leave this world. So ensure that you leave this world with your character intact. People only talk about good rather than speaking about, oh, Alhamdulillah, this person has now left the world, so let him be, or let him be. Yeah, inshallah, Allah give him Jannah. But there is no emotions in it, there is no intention in it. They are just saying it for the sake of it. So may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect us from that. The third foundation is knowledge itself. Imam Zamakhsari says, knowledge in Islam is like al-bahr bidun shafi. It is like a sea without a shore. You can study and you can study and you can study and you can learn right up to the ripe old age just before you go, uh, before you leave this world. So this Dini knowledge especially, we need to always, always increase our knowledge. So it is important that we spend time with the ulama. It is important that we attend uh, lectures. It is important that we read that is why the first ayah to be, uh, to be revealed was Iqra. Read. And how much do we read? Iqra bismi khalaq. Read in the name of thy Lord that has created you. How many of us are reading books to increase our iman? How many of us are reading books to increase our Islamic knowledge? How many of us are actually reading today? But what we have today is what is called armchair knowledge. We sit down, we listen, and we criticize. Oh, this Moana said this, this Mukti said this, this Sheikh said that. That is not the issue. It's how much do we learn? Everybody is not perfect today. 
in our talks, we can make mistakes. We can make a statement that may not be 100% true. It is our mistake because we are insane. We will continue making mistakes. So, but we take the good and we, and we leave the bad. So it is important that we take the knowledge that is good and we remove that is bad. So may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us the true knowledge, inshallah, the true understanding of the deen so that it will feed into our akhlaq, inshallah. And then the last pillar that knowledge is built on is the amal, the implementation of what we have learned. In the Quran, whenever you see the word amal, the next adjective, the next word that is going to come after the word amal is the word salih. Those deeds that are good, those deeds that are pious, those deeds that will win the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and not bring about the, the wrath of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, one is having the knowledge. But if we have the knowledge and then we do not implement that knowledge, we do not implement that knowledge in our lives, it is like that donkey that is carrying the books on his back and he doesn't know what it is carrying. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect us from, from such behavior. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect us from such knowledge. So whatever we learn, min al Quran, even be it one ayah from the Quran, as the Sahaba Ridwanullah Alim in various incidents should do, they will learn the ayah, they would by heart that ayah, and then they will implement that ayah in their lives. We are now carrying on in eight. We're getting along in eight. How many of us will say, okay, today I'm left, and, and today with this WhatsApp, we have a WhatsApp, we have, alhamdulillah, many people every morning, they send out a hadith. So let's make intention to say, inshallah, this knowledge that I'm getting from Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, let me study it, let me learn it, and then immediately on that same day, let me implement that hadith of Rasulullah sallallahu so I can become a better person. I can feed into my knowledge, and then I can feed into my character, inshallah, and in that way I'm going to increase my iman. Because if my good deed, that is why it says, al-iman yazid wa yankus, iman increases and decreases, increases with, with amal al-sali and decreases with, with sinning. So that will now feed from your deed to your knowledge, to your character, and then your iman at the end, inshallah. So I, have, I think I've exhausted my time, but the implementation of the knowledge, make intention that whatever, even if it be one hadith, one ayah, or one uh, saying of a, a pious predecessor, I'm going to implement it in my life, I'm going to make a change in my life, and that, inshallah, becomes the foundation of building knowledge in Islam. I hope I, I, I gave a quick synopsis of it. This is a very deep topic because each aspect of it, we can go very deep into it. Ulama has spoken extensively about it. But may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgive us for our shortcomings in what we have deliberated on this morning, inshallah. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala increase us in our, in our knowledge in, and better our akhlaq and increase our iman and make us implement it. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless the Ummah of Sayyidina Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam wa sallallahu ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Ameen, Ameen, Ameen. We say Jazakallah khair to Mulana for that beautiful nasiha. It's time for us to quickly wrap up uh, for the program. We say Jazakallah khair to you, the listener, for tuning in. Up next, inshallah, is the news and Q&A with Mufti A.K. Hussain and Mulana Arafat. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.